Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Numbers. That's the fourth book in the Bible, fourth book in the Old Testament. So as always, it's not going to be any red letter readings unless it's something Jesus reflected back on in the ministry in the New Testament. All that being said, we're at verse four, chapter 14. We're going to begin with verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So this is on the heels of spies being sent out to the area that's going to be called the Promised Land, where um, the people who have just left enslavement in Africa are on their way to in the area of modern-day Palestine slash Israel slash the Holy Land. You can think of it in any, as any one of those names. It's the same area that they're headed towards and they sent spies there to see what the land was like and basically is it worth it and how what kind of fight would they have to take it um and so they returned the spies came back to them with a report of how dangerous and how deadly it can be for them because the land that they're going to has giants in it actual human or a physical giants people who are really 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 tall so tall that they say that they seem like grasshoppers to the people that were there. Uh, and so you could think contrasting. The people there were so big that they seemed like they were bugs to them. Um, uh, verse 2. So the people are upset about that, that they left where they were, where they were at least eating good as slaves, um, not being treated well as slaves, but may, at least their meals were sure, I guess, uh, regardless of the abuse they were receiving. Um, but they were upset because they were thinking, they should have just never left the slavery. They should just stay where they are in Africa instead of going through the wilderness and dealing with the want that they've been facing again and again and the uncertainty. Verse 2, and only to find out the place they're heading to is dangerous also and not some welcoming um, place that they were expecting. Verse 2, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, if only had died in the land of Egypt, if only had died in this wilderness. So there, uh, the people are saying they'd rather be, uh, have just died as slaves in Africa, in Egypt where they were, or even died along the way in the wilderness than to go all that way, a trek through the wilderness, desert, through the, this is all happening in the area that we call the Middle East in modern times. So they are basically on foot traveling to the promised land only to find out the promised land the promises there are not so great according to the spies of their own people who went out there to go see what it's actually like and about so they're having second thoughts they're having regrets and Moses and Aaron are the same just in case you don't know Moses is the Ten Commandments Moses and Aaron is his brother they're the leaders of the people on their way through the exodus from the book of exodus and um their exodus from enslavement um, to emancipation. Uh, verse 3. Why has the Lord brought us to this land? Let me have to be careful reading this. And just in case you didn't notice with the last verse that we read, some words I didn't vocalize, even though they're there. I'll probably have to do the same thing with this verse. Let me just see. Why has the Lord brought to this land the fall by the sword that wives and children should become victims would it not be better to return to egypt so they're saying why in the world is the lord guiding them to a place where it's nothing but danger and pitfalls wouldn't it be better for them to just stay where they were 
and even return to Egypt where they were slaves. So that lets you know how terrified they must be to be willing to go back and become enslaved again instead of going to face the danger of the land of of Canaan, Palestine, Israel, the promised land. So the people are shaken. Verse 4, so they had said to one another, let us select the leader and return to Egypt. So they've sort of settled it and decided they're just, they'd rather take their chances with the enslavers and just go back to Egypt and deal with that. Even though they went through the Red Sea being parted, they went through the plagues of the frogs and the bugs and the even the Passover, they're thinking the Lord had took them to that place only to fall into more danger. They'd rather turn back and face the evil they know rather than the evil they don't know. Verse 4, um, verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. So Moses and Aaron, the brothers, are sort of defeated in that moment, wondering what are they supposed to do now? They've gone through all that trouble because this is a year plus into their exodus from enslavement, only for the people to um, be unwilling to go any further. Maybe understandably so, if you've gone from poverty and want and abuse to more poverty, want, abuse, and now uncertainty, then, like I said, you may feel like it may be best to just turn back to where you were, even if where you were wasn't so great. It's like people who stay in abusive relationships, they um, sometimes believe, well, they rather just stay with the, what is it, the devil they know rather than the devil they don't know. Just like when people vote again and again for the same ridiculous evil of both parties that do nothing except enrich themselves and they stick with that program believing well what's the point it's better to just stick with what they've got than to go for something new like progress which is actually another possibility but it's the possibility that just seems to keep getting drowned out because of the hopelessness that's put on people just like the children of Israel as they're exiting slavery say verse 5 but Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh who were among those who had spied out the land tore their clothes so if I pronounce any of these names wrong as always forgive me Um, the two people they named Joshua and Caleb were two of the people who were sent to spy um, with the other spies and they tore their clothes that's when in the biblical times that's a that's a way of showing um distress like emotional distress like you're you're um, not like you want to cry but like you're um, when they say you rent your clothes you rent your garments it's like you're outraged and you're I'm trying to think of the word that would go for it it'd be uh, yeah I guess outrage and it's a whole lot of emotions but it's basically you're tearing your clothes like you like you would say you're ripping your hair out you're that just that distraught by what's going on so that's what they are. They've torn their clothes for a reason. Let's see, verse 7. And they spoke to uh, all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. So of all the spies, these only these two are the ones giving a good report of the land that they're going to. Even though they must have seen the giants also, they must have seen the population, they must have known that the seen the cities where they're fortified and not just easy to tip over and take over, but um, apparently they have a heart to go ahead and conquer it. Verse eight: If the Lord delights in us, 
Then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. So there's a couple of things about that verse. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, if the Lord is pleased with you, then the way will be paved for you. You won't have to worry about it. But at the same time, if the Lord is the one guiding you through it, then why would you need to send spies? Wouldn't the Lord only have sent you to a land where it will be acceptable for you to go or, you know, easy and accessible for you? to go in and conquer it if that's really what the uh, Lord's plan is for you uh, whatever the case may be they sent spies the spies came back with a report the report wasn't good and uh, only two of the spies are saying they should go ahead with the mission to um, go ahead and conquer or colonize cause really that's basically what it sounds like the same way America was colonized and um the much of the many other parts of the world were colonized it's really basically the same thing and so they're encouraging the people to go ahead with the colonization plan verse 9 only do not rebel against the lord nor fear the people of the land for they are our bread their protection has departed from them and the lord is with us do not fear them so there's a couple of things being said there first the lord here is translated from the word jehovah in this uh, in this chapter, but like I've said before, not in all places of the Bible is it from the word Jehovah. Uh, other names are are um, translated to the word Lord throughout the Bible, so that tells us plainly that um, more than one entity or person, one name is being called Lord by the people throughout the Bible, and that also speaks to the other part of this verse where it says their protection has departed from them. That almost sounds like it's talking about a supernatural divine sort of protection also where the Lord of that area was um, what was helping and protecting them. And um, one of the other names that it gets translated to the word Lord is the word L, E-L. And um, if you, and Baal, B-A-A-L is another one um, that translates to the word masters, but it was also an entity that people were calling Lord and some people believe that's beyond my knowledge but I've seen documentaries and things where it talks about how the different names of these different quote-unquote gods gets conflated to be um, other names and so that that it's possible that that's what's happened with some of the names throughout the Bible as far as who's being called Lord and um, that uh, in the translation to English each of those different names that people were identifying as their own God that they're worshiping as their own Lord that they're serving just gets translated to the word Lord, even though it's all it's talking about different entities or beings. Um, so they're trying to give them encouragement to say, don't be afraid. Let's go ahead and continue with the mission. Verse 10, and all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. So the people weren't satisfied with the encouraging message that Joshua and Caleb were giving. So um, they were going to stone them. They were rejecting their um, positive report, probably in, because there were so many other voices saying, no, don't do it. It's dangerous. And it's a, and the mission was not good. The other spies were saying, giving a different message. Um, but now you see, the, it says the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle. Um, the way that so far as we've read it, the way that would happen, and you could picture like um, a tent 
that's the tabernacle, uh, a large tent where all the holy articles are. So you, um, the religious articles, I should say. So you could picture the tent being the church or temple, synagogue, mosque, the center of worship and the center of the camp of all the congregation. And then it, when it says the glory of the Lord would appear, um, as we've read so far, the glory of the Lord would appear as either a pillar of fire, like during the night, so that um, light would be from there, or as a pillar of cloud during the day. So you can imagine suddenly a cloud of fire or or cloud of, you know, um, water vapor cloud suddenly appear over the tabernacle and a beam of light, that's how I picture it, um, shooting down into the tent. And it would seem, uh, according to the narratives, that's how Moses would get his messages and conversations with the Lord, even though in at least two places in the Old Testament so far, it says that uh, the Lord would talk to Moses face to face as a man would talk to his friend. Um, and yet in another place, more recently, it says Moses would um, get the, hear voices from the mercy seat that's sort of concealed by the statues of angels' wings spread out in front of it and the smoke of the incense ascending in front of it and the voice would be emanating from it. Like I said, it almost sounds like the Wizard of Oz. You could picture it like that. But um, And in other times, there have, it describes direct contact uh, with the quote-unquote Lord. So if you can make sense of it, make sense of it however you can. It's like I've said before, when you read into the, get into the New Testament, um, the book of John says no one's seen God at any time, or heard his voice, or seen his form. And that contradicts these unless the, there's some other way that the Lord is appearing to people, even though it said face to face. So it kind of doesn't make sense that both could be true. Um, verse 11, then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I performed among them? So the Lord here is being um, peeved at the fact that the people are just so unfaithful regardless of all the different deliverances and miracles and wonders that were performed to emancipate them from the slavery including in uh, the Passover and parting the Red Sea so that they could walk through the sea on dry land with walls of water around them all that wasn't enough to keep them faithful because here it is again, they're filled with doubts and wondering what kind of mission is this the Lord is sending them on when um, it seems like nothing but peril. Verse 12, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. So the other part, another part of the Bible says, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I'm paraphrasing that, but that's basically what it's saying. But that sort of reaction here in verse 12 seems a, more like a human reaction. Um, what a human's thoughts would be that if they're going to reject me, fine, I'll reject them and just disinherit them and then make someone else um, take their place, get their crown, get their prize. Um, so that seems to be what it's saying there that, okay, they won't be faithful to me. Then I'll go ahead and strike them with disease. That's what pestilence is and disinherit them, meaning they're no longer the children of God. Instead, they'll just be orphaned and um, instead start a new nation, a new congregation, a new following with um, Moses and Aaron instead. 
verse 13 and moses said to the lord then the egyptians will hear it for by your might you brought these people up from among them so moses is it sounds again like human conversations um but moses seems to be reasoning with the lord saying if you do that if you lash out at the people and disinherit them and strike them with disease then the other people you delivered them from the enslavers in africa in egypt that you delivered them from are going to hear about that they're going to know that the same one who rescued them suddenly turned on them and has stricken them and disinherited them verse 14 and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land they've heard that you lord are among these people that you lord are seen face to face and your cloud stands above them and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night so that again that sort of describes how i was saying how they would see the appearance of the Lord in cloud and in fire, and also the face-to-face -face part, which again, if you go to uh, the New Testament, the fourth book of, of John, even the very beginning, chapter 1 and chapter 5, say otherwise. So if both are true, then that means this is not the same Lord God Almighty that Jesus is pointing to. It may be some, other, some, some sort of other entity that, like I said, the people may be worshiping as their Lord um, that's guiding them out, but it can't possibly be uh, the same one that's uh, talked about in the New Testament for both of those to be true. They just can't possibly both be true. Um, verse 15, Now if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, So now Moses, Moses is it Moses and Aaron or just Moses? Um, let's see. So it's Moses saying that um, if the Lord strikes out at the entire congregation as if it was one person being unfaithful, then the people who they were delivered from are going to hear about it. And um, verse 16, because the Lord was not, and say this, uh, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. So Moses is, it seems, appealing to the lord's um would it be pride or concern for its own name or reputation basically saying you're going to ruin your reputation if you kill the people in the wilderness and people are going to think oh it's just because you weren't able to finish what you started uh you weren't able to rescue them from slavery and deliver them to the promised land that's why you killed them so moses is using that sort of psychology uh, with the Lord to get the Lord to relent from killing the people and lashing out with them with a vengeance for their unfaithfulness or really for their fear because that's really more of what it sounds like to me than unfaithfulness they're just afraid verse 17 and now I pray let the power of my Lord be great just as you've spoken saying so now Moses is saying is going to use what we should probably use when we pray the Lord's words on the Lord. As Christians, I do that by when I pray with um, by using Jesus's words, the red letters, as sort of a tagline on the prayers, like asking you receive, and for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and those sort of things. When I pray, to sort of like put a stamp on the prayer to say, well, you said this Lord, you said this Jesus, you said this Christ, so this should apply to me asking and receiving in that sort of way so and it seems moses is doing that when it comes to approaching the lord to get the lord to relent using the different things the promises the words that the lord uh basically guaranteed 
Moses and the congregation on their exodus to sort of remind the Lord that uh, you said this, so uh, why shouldn't it be this? Verse 18, and these are the words that Moses is bringing up to the Lord. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. So a lot's being said there. He's reminding Moses, is bringing up the words from the Lord. Um, I think that's number six, 24, 25, 26, if I remember right. No, 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 no. It's Exodus. It is it the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. As Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And there's more that is said there. So that's basically what Moses is reflecting back on, letting the Lord know, uh, you said that you're all these things and you do all these things. So where are all these things? Where is all this mercy and forgiveness and um, letting things go? Where is all that? And the other part to not overlook is that it says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Some preachers now even will say they're Christian preachers will discount that and write that off altogether and say, no, the person who sins is the one who gets it and not the children bearing the sins of their fathers. Well, that's not what it just said just now. That's not what it says in Exodus. Although they say that because in another part of the Bible, it contradicts that saying that the one who sinned is the one who get it. I'm paraphrasing there, but saying, um, the children, wait, the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge. I think it's in, um, it's later on in the Bible, but basically saying the same thing that are the descendants, are the generations after it going to uh, reap the evil that their forefathers sowed. And in that place, it says, no, the one who sins is going to get the, the recompense, not their children or their children's children which contradicts what we just read. So again, if you are going to say the Lord is unchanging, then explain that the Lord's changing. If you're going to say this is the Lord. So Moses brought back the Lord's words back to the Lord to see how he's going to respond to sort of entreat him to have a change of heart. Verse 19, pardon the iniquity of this people. I pray according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you've forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. So Moses is saying, forgive them let it go don't hold on to it don't lash out at them be that merciful long-suffering forgiving lord that you said you were um books ago um well books for us because exodus was a couple of books ago from at this point in the narrative but at least a year ago when they were still enslaved in egypt uh when they first when moses uh first got the message to let my people go and lead them out of the enslavement. Um, let's see. So asking basically for more of that same mercy. Verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. So Moses pleading with the Lord got the Lord to have a change of heart. So once again, the Lord does change if you're going to believe this is the Lord. So even though churches will tell you the Lord is unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and all of that. Clearly, it's not the case. Clearly, if they're going to believe this is the Lord, the Lord can be reasoned with, especially if you use the Lord's own words um, in your argument um, to get the Lord to have a change of heart, to have a to relent from doing harm. Verse 21, but truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. 
So, um, it sounds like that's something, a guarantee, a promise that, uh, as the Lord lives, the whole world, the whole earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. As far as I know, that hasn't happened yet since then until now. So it must be a foreshadowing or prophecy of the end times, that judgment day when, um, the world is filled with the luminous light of God. If you're going to believe this is the Lord, and if you believe that is a prophecy that is to come true, like I said, if it obviously hasn't happened since then or before then, so when is it going to happen? It's still waiting on it. It's been thousands of years. Verse 22, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice... So now the Lord is saying, um, reminding or sort of going back over the fact that they've been unfaithful, literally at least those 10 times, because remember there were 10 different plagues up until the, the Passover plague that um, freed them or, you know, marked the beginning of their emancipation in earnest. Um, and each time the people weren't necessarily all that faithful. Um, each time, some of those times the people also wanted to attack Moses and Aaron for uh, making trouble for them among the Egyptians who were their enslavers because they felt like, well, it's not the it's not an ideal situation. But you come in there talking about let's get free, set, let my people go, has only made things worse for the slaves. They're only being abused more by the enslavers. So um, it seems the Lord also is reflecting back on their history to bring it up to Moses to let him know um, that the people have been unfaithful. Verse 23, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. So now more lashing out. Um, does that sound like long suffering and merciful to hold that against the people for being afraid, for being uh, fearful, for having doubts uh, about what they're going to go face when they were told to send spies who came back with the bad report. If you really wanted the people not to be that way, why send the spies in the first place? Why not just let the people march into the land and conquer the people before them so that they know, oh, the Lord really is with us. We're not going to have to fight tooth and nail to colonize this area because the Lord truly is with us. The same Lord who freed us from slavery is the same one that smashed all those giants and the people of the land like bugs before we got there. Instead, letting the people getting get filled with doubts and fear along the way. Maybe it's because there was a different understanding of what, and maybe this, I think this may point to why part of what Jesus' mission was, that maybe the Lord, the God Almighty, the actual God Almighty, um, to gain a better understanding of human frailty and the things that people do and the nonsense people do, the doubts, the fears, the the unfaithfulness, maybe that was part of the point of sending Jesus in the flesh to have an understanding of what it's like to be human and um, and be afraid of mobs surrounding you or be uh, hurt when people beat you and whip you or reject you or betray you so that the Lord could actually understand why the people, even though they saw all these different miracles and wonders these 10 different times, still were filled with doubts and still seemed to put the Lord to the test. It's because human nature calls for those sorts of things. Like Jesus says, 
The world, the earth yields crops by itself. He himself does not know how. The experience of walking in the flesh in the world will cause you to do some of those different things that may not make sense to some a spiritual entity that doesn't deal with those sort of emotions and um, circumstances, but make more sense to someone who is in the flesh uh, like Jesus experienced and in that way was able to act as an intercessor or mediator between the spiritual and physical between the God and the humanity to as a, one who understands what it's like to deal with those different emotions and those elements that the world can cast on you um, but it seems the people who rejected the Lord's mission um, and words are also being rejected either way that they're not going to make it into that promised land verse 24 but my servant Caleb because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully I will bring into the land where I where he went and his descendants shall inherit it so Caleb for his faithfulness is being um, basically guaranteed an inheritance for the land that they're going to colonize um, no mention of Joshua but we know Joshua gets a book in the Bible named after him and he basically becomes the next commander after Moses so that's probably the legacy of what he'll receive for his faithfulness but it's just not written here verse 25 now the Malachites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea so here again why send spies if you already know who's uh, occupying the land here it seems the Lord knows that the Amalekites, which are people in his history, you can look their history up. Um, and the same with the Canaanites. So the Lord already knows that those people are there in that valley. Uh, and then, okay, we're going to go around and avoid them. Why send the spies in the first place? Especially if you know the end from the beginning and you know that the spies are going to return with a report that's going to discourage the people. Why send them in the first place? Unless the idea was to thin out um, the congregation and um, strike down a whole bunch of people. And again, that doesn't sound very loving, kindly, loving. That doesn't sound like it's full of loving kindness and mercy to me. Um, but it's how it reads, so let's keep reading. Verse 26, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, so again, with the speaking to Moses and Aaron contradicts what it says in John, but it's what it says here, so let's keep reading. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I've heard their, the complaints which he the children of Israel make against me. So the Lord is attentive to hearing the gripes and whining and moaning and stuff that the people are, uh, it seems, indulging in. And um, it's irritating. Who likes to be talked about like that? And not even behind their back, um, but to your face being talked about like a dog. Um, so the, it seems the Lord is running out of patience for all of the um, griping. See verse 28. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you've spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. So now um, the people are being assured that their, pra their prayers and their uh, words are heard. Uh, but why not get that response for when they're help praying for help, when they're begging for rescue, begging for relief? Why not be just as attentive to hear the gripes and complaints? that people pray about when they're when we are dealing with different situations in life why not act so rapidly with that why be so ready to react with instant karma so to speak 
when people say something offensive or even if it's just in doubt or in fear but then be so quiet and sit back and quietly just let it happen when people are struggling like with poverty or abuse oppression or even the rape like um like Dinah and uh dwelt uh dealt with why in the world would there be such a double standard and then if there is why in the world turn around and wonder why the people are full of doubts it just doesn't make sense that a god almighty that's witnessing everything a universal god would have trouble understanding that concept that the lord's only attentive to hear if you say something against him but if you uh are asking something from him you, it falls on deaf ears it seems like verse 28 say to them as i live Oh, sorry, read that already. So in 2080, the Lord is letting him know, I've heard what you said and you're going to get what the word, you're going to get what you said. So that points to what I said before about being careful what you say, because there's energy in your words, whether you believe that or not, whether you accept that or not. Like Jesus goes over in Matthew 12, 37, it's by your words, you'll be justified and by your words, you'll be condemned. It sounds like the people are calling down condemnations on themselves by their words that are going to manifest. Let's see. Verse 29. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. So remember, we went through the census uh, chapters already, and there's at least 600,000 men of a certain age walking there besides the men of not of that age group and besides all the women and the children so it's hundreds of thousands of people that are in the congregation traveling on this trek through the wilderness from the exodus of from enslavement um and here it seems that the lord is letting them know they're going to die right there in the wilderness they're not going to make it to that promised land that really seems kind of cold-blooded to rescue the people then not let them go back to the where they want to go where they rather just tough it out but then also not let them go to the promised land and kill them in the wilderness it seems really kind of cruel verse 30 except for caleb son of jephunneh and joshua the son of nun you shall by no means enter the land which i swore to, swore i would make you dwell in so there you go yet another change the swear the promise was that there's a promised land i'm going to take you to it i'm paraphrasing but that's basically the promise and now you see after the people run into uh doubts or exhibit some unfaithfulness the lord relents on the promise the 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 promise is swept away the guarantee is gone so again is the lord unchanging if it's if you think this is the lord obviously the lord does change and changes it seems depending on how we approach the lord so the basically the people are being banned from making it to the promised land and only two people of the congregation are even going to be allowed to enter verse 31 but your little ones whom you said will be victims i will bring in and they shall know the land which you have despised so it really does seem like it's just a way of thinning out the congregation then all of the adults from 20 years old and up aren't going to make it they aren't going to make it to the promised land they're going to end up dying in the wilderness along the way they aren't going to see the land that was guaranteed to them um but i guess the way to keep that promise instead sort of backhandedly is to still let the congregation see it 
just a different part of the congregation, the part of the congregation that didn't get numbered in the census, all the ones under 20 years old. Perhaps the women also, it's not real clear because remember the women weren't counted, only the men, the males were counted. Um, so whatever the case may be, um, they aren't going to make it, the grown folks aren't going to make it, but the youngins will. And that seems like it'd be a vicious slap in the, fla- slap in the face to the people who were just suffering through slavery and then um, rescued from it to only end up being given the death sentence, the death penalty, um, while they wander in the wilderness, probably a lot of it desert, um, for years and not even make it to the land that they were guaranteed to make it to when they were emancipated from the slavery. Really, really seems cruel, but just reading it how it reads, so let's keep reading. Verse 32. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. So again, that's the death penalty for um, the rest of them, for the 600,000 plus um, in the congregation. They're going to end up dying in the wilderness. Verse 33. And your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. Really seems cold-blooded to now sentence the people who were scared to go on with the mission because the spies who were ordered to go and find out about it came back returned to them with the report of how dangerous the mission would be and now in punishment for being afraid or maybe even more than afraid for being sassy about the command to continue on the mission or being not having the heart the courage to follow through with the mission are now being condemned to death in the wilderness no less and for 40 years to have to wander through the wilderness um, and die rather than reach the promised land or return back to where at least they were getting um, fed as slaves. All of those are off the table and the only thing left for them is death in the wilderness after, uh, as they wander for 40 years through basically the desert. 34. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. So now they're being sentenced to a year for every day that they spied out the land, even though according to the narrative, they were told by the Lord to send out spies to the land. That does not really sound like a fair and just judgment. And yet, it's how it reads. So that's how we're reading it. But does that really sound like the Lord God Almighty? Besides all the patriarchy, besides all the favoritism toward uh, um, uh, these group of people who've been rescued from slavery, but then allowing other people to become, be bought and sold as their slaves, does that really sound like the Lord God Almighty that would would do that? Uh, If it is, then we have a bigger, clearer picture of what God Almighty is about. I personally believe what Jesus says, that um, they haven't heard God's voice, they haven't seen his form, so this must be some other force that's leading them on this way, at least at this point, from um, uh, through the wilderness, or at least interacting with them along the way through the wilderness. But whatever the case may be, they've been sentenced to 40 years um, for sending out the spies, which the Lord told them to send, really seems, really, really seems cruel. 
Verse 35, I the Lord have spoken this, I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. So it's like the final word, final judgment is they're going to end up dying in the wilderness. The death penalty is 40 years hard labor in the wilderness to end up dead for their unfaithfulness and for sending out spies which the Lord told them to send. Harsh. Verse 36, Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land. So now this seems to be where the narrator is turning the the, the, the blame to the spies. They were just went out. They just went there and reported back what they saw, which is what they were told to do. And come back with a report of the land, of what it's like, what the fruit of the land is like, what the people are like, what the cities are like, what the walls are like. They came back and did that, and now they're being punished for um, bringing back the report. The blame is being put on them um, for bringing back the spy report, which they were sent to go get. Verse 37, those men, oh, those Oh, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. So wow, so now they did their job, their mission to go spy out the land, and in return for spying it out and bringing back what they saw as an honest report of the land, and the majority of them saw it that way, because remember only two, Joshua and Caleb, said otherwise, um, now they have, they've died by the plague for their report. Um... Uh, for fulfilling the mission they were sent on by the Lord, according to the narrative. Verse 38, But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. So those two alone were spared that punishment um, that the rest of the spies got for um, bringing back their version of the report compared to the version that Joshua and Caleb brought back. Seems harsh doesn't really seem fair either but it's how it reads so let's keep reading uh, verse 39 then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel and the people mourned greatly so uh, that's another mysterious thing since everyone could see the glory of the Lord appear again over the tabernacle and the message knowing then that that's when the message is being passed from the Lord to Moses and Moses and or Aaron so the people know that that's what's happening, yet we saw in other cases where the Lord would do that same thing, like when the Spirit was poured out on um, the 70 elders, I think it was 70 elders, uh, and the people saw that too, and um, they witnessed all that and could hear the voice of the Lord at different times. Why in the world wouldn't the Lord just do that again to let all the people know at once? So that instead of having to um, have Moses and Aaron be the relay between the two, the people could know directly, oh, the Lord means business. Uh, they messed up in sending those spies, even though that's what the Lord told them to do, according to the narrative. But whatever the case may be, Moses has reported it back to the uh, congregation, and they're upset about it. Verse 40, and they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we've sinned. So now the people are repentant, saying, Okay, fine, fine, fine. You want us to go on up to that um, promised land where there's giants and fortified walls and seems like it's impossible to break through it. The spies said, no, don't do it. Fine, we'll go ahead and do it. We'll be faithful since it ticked you off that we doubted and feared. Fine, we'll do it. Um, 
they recognize and they're even recognizing it as sin that they had their doubts or skepticism or sassed about going. Verse 41, and Moses said, now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. So now Moses is letting them know, oh no, that's going to be an exercise in futility if you go up there now. Um, Because the sentence has already been passed, basically, that you're going to be, you're sentenced to 40 years in the wilderness. And uh, on top of that, the spies have all but two died by a plague, no less. Um, So he's warning them, no, don't do it. That's not going to work. It's not going to succeed. Verse 42, do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. So now Moses is telling them, no, don't bother to go up now. It's too late because the Lord's not going to be with you if you do. But if that's the case, then why did they need, again, why do they need to send spies in the first place? If the Lord is with them anyway, why do they need to send spies? Why not just go in and conquer it and stomp your way through it and take the town knowing the Lord is with you? Why have them send spies and then knowing the spies are going to come back and you're going to lash out at them and kill them and then sentence the people to 40 years in the wilderness? It really just does not seem fair at all. Um, but let's keep reading verse 43 for the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you and you shall fall by the sword because you've turned away from the Lord the Lord will not be with you so doesn't sound like long suffering and forgiving there either where now because the people uh, turned and were unfaithful now the Lord has turned and is not going to be faithful to them either and yet still going to be with them as they serve out their sentence of 40 years and still expect them to be faithful through all of that. It seems like a whole lot to ask of people who were just enslaved and dealing with all that in the first place. And yet, it's how it reads, so let's keep reading. He's letting them know, the Lord's not going to be with you. And you're going to face some deadly enemies if you do go up there. Verse 44, but they presume to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. So even though some of the army of the people, the common people, not the priests, the elites, but the common people went on ahead and decided, well, we're going to go ahead and attack. We're going to go ahead and try and take that land. Um, We're going to go ahead and trust in what Joshua and Caleb said now, even though we didn't believe it at first. We're going to go ahead and lean on that and go ahead and conquer the land, Um, even though Moses has warned them not to. So it's saying in verse 44 that they went on and did their mission to go ahead and try and take it anyway but it mentions that the ark of the covenant that's the, the um container that has the ten commandments the two stone tablets not all those statutes and ordinances that have arisen since then but just the two stone tablets that the ten commandments are written on or as they're called the ten words and also a jar or container sample of the manna that the people also have been using for food those, if I remember right, those are the two things that are in the uh, Ark of the Covenant. And it might have been one other thing. I think maybe Aaron's staff, the one that uh, blossomed with um, almonds. I think maybe that also is in there if we've gotten to that. Yeah, I think we did read that already. That may be the only other thing that, it, that at least that I can remember that's in the Ark. Um, and it's saying, so that didn't go with them. It's basically something they've used like a... a instrument or weapon of power that they could use to go before them like a cannon would be 
um, as their defense. And then Moses um, didn't leave either. Moses stayed in the camp and so did the ark. Verse 45, then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Horma. So they tried to go ahead and um, take the town, take the area from the Amalekites and Canaanites, but they weren't having it. They came out against them and attacked them and drove them back. So like Moses told them, it's going to be futile to go ahead with um, the mission. At this point, it's too late. That ship has sailed. Um, and he was right. Um, they were not successful in their takeover attempt. And that was the last verse in this chapter. So that's the last verse of this reading. As always, thank you for joining me. Hope it's a blessing for you. If you're interested in past readings of the Naked Truth, you can hear them here on this platform, Anchor and Spotify and others. Or if you're an adult, you can go to my platform, hungtgirl.com, and not hear these readings, uh, not these specific, specific readings, um, but specifically the red letter readings. You can read along with me with the scrolling text of what it is Jesus has to say. Because again, I self-identify as a Christian, so I lean on what Jesus has to say as my uh, walking orders through um, the paths of life. And what Jesus has to say, like I've said before, is only a tithe of the Bible, only a tenth. Six books have anything that Jesus even said in them, quotes anyway, attributed to Jesus. So that's what we focus on here on The Naked Truth on our Saturday readings. But also, that's what you can read along with me on hungtgirl.com on the Spirit and Soul pages there. And you can get to know me better with the rest of the links on the site, including the photo links by clicking the pictures. They're free videos to help you get to understand me and what my paths of life have been like. Stay safe. God bless you. And thanks again. Peace be with you. See you next time. Thank you again for joining me for The Naked Truth. Just so you understand what the point for me is with The Naked Truth is, I was surprised out of the 60 plus books in the Bible that only six of them have anything at all that are attributed to Jesus. Any quotes attributed to Jesus, any red letters attributed to Jesus, things Jesus actually had to say. I was always thought, led to believe that the entire Bible is a Christian message when it actually isn't. There's many different gods, quote unquote, being um, worshipped throughout the Bible. Many different names translated to the word Lord throughout the Bible, but only one that um, is identified as Christ, the messenger that brings us what it is we need to know as Christians that God would have us know as Christians. And like I said, his words only appear in a tithe or a tenth of the 60 plus books in the Bible. So that's what we focus on here on The Naked Truth. You can hear past readings here on this platform. You can help me by subscribing to The Naked Truth on this platform, on this podcast platform. Or if you're an adult, you can go to my website, hungtgirl.com, and read along with me with the scrolling text of what it is Jesus had to say with those red letter readings. You can get a membership, you can make a donation, or you can just enjoy the free content by clicking the pictures there. They're free videos. And I appreciate all of the above. God bless you for the all of the above, and I hope you'll join me again. Stay safe. Thanks again. Peace be with you.